This week's episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Saucy. Uh, yeah, and let's just say, I might have some some trouble reading this ad, because I'm absolutely fucked up on, uh, on alcohol. Uh, yeah, let's just say my BAC is about 900. <laughs> so, um, uh, so yeah, that's how absolutely buzzed I am. So Saucy, if you didn't catch on, is beer, wine, and spirits delivered directly to your door and ordered online. Uh, and let's just say that's good because you don't want to drive drunk. Um, alcohol delivery in 30 minutes. Shop for over 10,000 plus products at great prices. Yeah, 10,000 plus products. That's not enough for me. I need um, a double. Du- uh, shit. I need double that. 20,000 20, uh, 20, products. Uh, I like drinking different things. Order craft beer, wine, and spirits online or download the mobile app for iOS or Android, but not Samsung Galaxy S8. <laughs> Stay in and order a drink. No delivery fees, no minimums. Order the drinks you want and in 30 to 60 minutes have a drink at your door or schedule alcohol delivery when it's best for you. And I'll let you on a little hint, Saucy. It's always good for me. Listen, I'm not drunk. I'm sober. And Saucy... Uh, I'm just trying to get free shit from them. They haven't sent me shit. I'd love to get some free alcohol. Um, really, whatever. You know, I'll take Angry Orchid. Orchard. Orchard? Orchid? <laughs> Orchid? I'll take anything, man. Just please deliver it for free. Uh, Saucy has snacks, mixers, and more. Uh, let's just say my mixer is vodka. <laughs> is, that a, is that a t-shirt or a bumper sticker? My mixer is vodka? Vodka is my mixer. <laughs> imagine, is that like a? Imagine I sell like a bumper sticker or a T-shirt that says my my mixer is vodka. I make it on comedy writing like Shopify. It's all the only thing I sell is my mixer is vodka. Man, that really tickled me. It's four in the morning as I do this. I'm going out of town, so I'm recording this ad early. And boy, oh boy, that really tickled my really tickled my funny bone. To get alcohol delivered to your door and to save 10% on your order, go to boardwalkaudio.com slash saucy. That's boardwalkaudio.com forward slash saucy, S-A-U-C-E-Y. And to get my mixer is vodka, <laughs> go to shopify.com slash uncomedy No, but seriously, boardwalkaudio.com slash saucy. This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. <laughs> On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardwalkguide.com slash on comedy writing. Click the support artist button shop at Disney Hollywood. You get a little kickback. This week's guest is Justin Tyler, who started the Characters Welcome Show at UCB was writing partners in a sketch duo with John Gabris, a commercial director, and is currently a writer on The Opposition. Justin's a cool guy, and we had a really interesting conversation about in the middle about the trends of comedy in film and TV, uh, and that's really interesting to hear, and it was a fun time. So here is Justin Tyler. Uh, Justin, thanks for coming on the show. You bet. Thank you for having me in your East Village, uh, palatial East Village apartment. <laughs> hey, the fans are going to find it if you say oh, that. Oh, sorry. Is that too close? <laughs> uh, I will try not to say the address, but I can't promise it. It's in my brain. Uh, where are you from originally? I'm from upstate New York, uh, way up at the top. A lot of people think New York State is tiny. It's actually so, so big that I'm from like seven hours away north. People think New York's tiny? Yeah, people are like, uh, you're from upstate New York? What does that mean? Like Woodstock, very cool, Woodstock area, all that. And I'm like, no, no, in Syracuse, but even further north. And they're like, wait, what? Canada? (laughs) And I'm like, yes, but there's a huge chunk of like red state up there. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. It's the south of the north, as I say. Yeah, people do neglect that there's like a lot of pockets of red state in the east coast there's a lot there's so much uh it's just these big cities ruin their uh their red red stateness right so they can't really do anything electorally i guess yeah Yeah. Uh, but i grew up in the country uh way up there um 
Uh, so all of my family are in construction, basically, mm-hmm. except for me, uh, and a lot of born again Christians in my family as well. So it's uh, they're always a little stunned by what I do, and I don't know if they watch it or see it or get it. The the thing that they're always they were so impressed by was I was in an Olive Garden commercial like five <laughs> years ago, and they're like, "That was awesome!" I was like, "Oh, thank you, uh, such a body of work I have." Uh, when did you uh, first get interested in comedy? Uh, I was always uh, into comedy as a fan, but um, I actually grew up very shy. I was a quiet kid uh, up until like my junior year of high school. And big math science kid. Um, I went to college. I went to Hamilton College, also in upstate New York, and was set to be a chemistry major. And I got there, and I was like, you know what? I want to um, take a film class. I always like movies. Uh, so I couldn't get in because it was an upperclassman thing. So I was like, you know what? I'll get an art credit out of the way, and I'll take a theater class. I want to be a better oh. public speaker. Loved that. Ended up majoring in theater. Started doing improv in college, and then just sort of all fell out after that. Oh, cool. What were the kind of um, like TV shows and movies you were watching when you were growing up? Uh, as a kid, I mean, a lot of uh, we were a big Star Wars family, oh, yeah, yeah. Indiana Jones, that kind of stuff. A uh, big comic book kid as well, so I think that there. Not that that was all big uh, comedy influence, but yeah. just like uh, different ways of uh, taking in content and just uh-huh. like creativity. But um, TV shows, we watched Whose Line Is It Anyway a lot. Yeah. Uh, we watched all the Disney cartoons after school. Mm-hmm. Uh, your Saved by the Bells, your Hey Dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, not what, to say we, what's Hey Dude. Hey Dude, yeah. uh, Nickelodeon show from the like mid nineties. It's uh, like a bunch of kids who work on a ranch in, uh, okay. in I don't know, somewhere. And it was like it was like Saved by the Bell, sort of, in almost always. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the characters uh, is, um, oh, what's her name? She's Ben Stiller's wife, uh, Christine. Uh, Taylor, yeah. Uh, yeah, she, uh, she was on Hey Dude. Oh, cool. You mentioned comic, book movie, comic books. What yeah. do you think about comic book movies these days? Huge fan. Um, I do a podcast called Comic Book Club uh, oh, yeah. where we uh, talk about comics uh, so much. We've been doing it for like, uh, we've been doing the show for like 13 years. We've done it forever. Whoa. Had a podcast for like 10 years. So it's, I talk about comics so much, read so many comics. Um, so I love the movies, uh, especially Marvel's hit rate is pretty stunning mm-hmm. um, compared to DC's. But everyone's expectations were like, oh, cool. But I mean, this is going to be fine. And they truly, like Infinity War, have you seen it? No, that? I haven't seen it yet. Uh, well, I won't say much, but it's truly, they do a great job. I hear people die. That's what I, That's all I've known. Yeah. I mean, that's true all the time. Yeah, you knew that. You know that going in. I guess I guess people do die every comic book movie. Oh, fuck. Now I feel bad telling you about death, <laughs> the looming death that faces us all. Wow. I wonder if anyone's going to die in Deadpool. Get your heart on. Oh, nice. <laughs> You're a fan of Deadpool. I'm a fan of the ad, Get Your Heart On. Yeah. I don't get that. Is that supposed to just, is that just like the pun on, I don't get the pun really. I don't get why they did that. I think they're trying to make a, a hard on joke. Uh, but it, like if, if it came out like on Valentine's Day, I get it. But like I don't get. Yeah. I, I don't know. Cause I saw that too and I was like, oh, okay. Um, hard, I guess they're just, hard on is enough for them yeah. to be like hard on, you know, like a boner. Yeah. But like what is it like, what does get your heart on mean just by itself? It doesn't mean anything really. Yeah. Um, I don't know, but I, I that aside, I feel like the Deadpool two marketing campaign is almost on par with the movie franchise, just yeah. in how much they're doing and how expansive it is. Right, and as you can tell that Ryan Reynolds just loves it yeah. so much. Did you see the clip of him on uh, a South Korean uh, karaoke oh, no. show? Worth watching. Yeah. He uh, he comes out wearing a mask and he's singing a song. And then reveals that it's him, and it's just like fifteen shots of people in the audience, like, like, like <laughs> losing it in like nine, the most like silent film style reactions you've ever seen. I, I always wonder with all the press stuff, how much is it, is Ryan Reynolds actually in the costume doing it? Oh wow! Because like there was never, like never thought of that. Because <laughs> there's like uh, the David Beckham. I don't know if you saw the David Beckham one, right? Yeah, which is kind of funny because they, they made fun of David Beckham in the first movie, so he goes to apologize to David Beckham. And it's like, what are the odds that that's Ryan Reynolds like just doing that? I wonder because I I feel like he loves it so right, much that, that he true. might just be all in. Um, but also, it does seem crazy if it's like, 
either I could be there and do it, or I could not be there and just do the voiceover, right, right. I would definitely do the latter. <laughs> uh, so in college, you were doing theater. Any favorite roles from that time? Uh, well, I so the uh, theater program, Hamilton College has sort of a very small mm-hmm. theater program. There's like, I think, eight of us graduated in my year, oh, and that wow. was like a big amount of uh of actors so uh we did some pretty weird uh we did a lot of like greek we did uh orestes and all of that the my favorite role was the second play i ever did and it was um it was called pilgrims of the night a len jenkin play and it was uh it was a, a play that was like vignettes sort of like canterbury tale style and each character came and uh sort of told a story and i feel like that I love that. I was like, oh, man, we get to do so much. We get to play so many different characters. That really set me up to want to do sketch comedy, mm. which after I I graduated college and spent a year traveling on a grant studying street theater that oh, I wow. won in college, which is crazy. I won all around the world. Then I moved to Boston for a year and then moved to New York and started taking classes at UCB. What's, what's street theater? Uh, well, so I was a, a theater and government double major, oh, so okay. I was always into politics. So... There's this grant uh, that the college did, sort of like a, a Watson Fellowship, which is a national program. This was uh, specific to my college. And they were like, pitch us a project. Uh, the only parameters are it has to last a year, you have to be out of the country by yourself, and it has to be three or more countries. So I was like, oh, uh, I was talking to my theater advisor. I was like, I, wanted, I love improv. I want to do something with improv. They were like, that's no one knows what that is a and b it sounds sort of uh like it's just comedy on the road Mm -hmm. so i was like okay i can uh add a little more heat to it by doing political street theater so pitched a project ended up going and i ended up going to nine countries and in some i was with uh theater groups that would perform in poor areas uh like aids education uh women's rights different little pieces Uh, in india there was uh this group would go to the 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 poor villages in in the middle of a busy street just like put their lights up and do these uh tv melodrama style performance pieces um on this in the south pacific i was in a place called vanuatu and that they would boat around to different islands and do these similar type plays but in places like scotland australia uh, japan i was just watching performers on the street do like their their weird thing Wow, that's so crazy. Yeah, it was wild. It was a wild year. I'd never left the country before besides like going to Canada. Mm-hmm. So I was just instantly in the world by myself trying to figure out what to do. And you know, I had like had the grant. I had very little oversight, so I could spend it on whatever. Mm-hmm. So I got to do a lot, see a lot, and just like travel around with these weird performers who were like uh, people who some of them were clowns, some of them were uh, like just dudes who juggled and built this act around that and went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and made like 30,000 pounds in over the course of uh, one month. So that's how they made their living. They partied very hard. It was, uh, and I was out actually not to date myself too hard, but I was, that was in 2001. So I was in actually India on September 11th. So that changed sort of the scope of it a little bit because security got way tighter and I videotaped a lot of it and in, when I was leaving India, the scanner erased all of my tapes. Uh, so that was a real bummer because oh, no. uh, they had increased all the the security around. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. So that was a bummer. But I kept – I took a lot of pictures. Yeah, and... yeah. Did, did that help uh, – like going through that, did that help your own like theater and your own acting and stuff? Yeah, I think so because like you're exposed to – you really learn how like you can relate to an audience in like a million ways. And these people were – just like walking into a public square and letting the audience come to them. They had to be doing something interesting enough to draw in sort of the critical mass of people. And then uh, knowing how to, how to sustain it and when to be like, I've completed my act. Please pay me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was such an education about um, just especially with comedy, which is all about that sort of delicate balance of like, okay, this joke is now over. Uh, I need another joke here. I need a better joke here. Um, you learn that just watching that you learn that the rhythm of that in uh, out on the street is a fun mm-hmm. fun way to see it in play. So you you came back to the states. You lived in Boston, then you went to New York. And did you did you know about UCB when you moved to New York? Uh, no, not really. I just uh, I knew that I I started doing improv. I guess I'd heard of it because I was doing improv in Boston at Improv Boston I was okay. with, with a group there, um, and we performed around the city. Uh, 
with a, a guy named Matt Fisher was up there, who's a UCB guy. And uh, so I moved here and was like, I definitely want to keep doing that. And so I started taking classes pretty quickly. Like, I think I moved in September, and then I was in, in a class in November. And uh, did it immediately like, click for you that this was like something you wanted to, to do? Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I moved here and I was like, I'm gonna be an like capital A actor. I'm gonna like do. I'm gonna audition and backstage, do that whole thing. So I was doing that as well, and I booked some parts. Uh, but that the the comedy stuff just took off so much faster, and it's such a direct route to like getting an agent uh, as opposed to through theater. Not that it's easy to get an agent in in any uh, aspect of this uh, this business, but um, that definitely started to work a little faster. I'd taken. Back then, UCB was four levels. It was level one, two, three, and three B. So I had taken three B and uh, got put on a Herald team then, and started just being in the community, and that mm-hmm. that started to spin out from there. And uh, was there like any kind of like moment where it all like clicked in for you during that time? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say. There was one moment. I just knew when once you're in the class system and you're around people that are doing it, it's like, oh, this is I I get it. So I think like it can click pretty instantly just like, oh, there, here's the ladder up. Mm-hmm. Now I just have to do it and get better. And if you're observant, I feel like it does click pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, you were on a Herald team, but there wasn't uh, – Maude wasn't around back then, right? Right, correct. So what kind of sketch stuff was happening at the theater at the time? Uh, back then, uh, there were – sketch shows would run every like Thursday – at eight for like a month. And then like, if it was kept getting audience, they would build it out. So you're always doing four shows a month. Uh, so the, a run was like a bigger commitment, but it also meant like you had Thursdays at eight at the theater. So like you could, you saw a lot of people like really getting attention, getting written up individual sketch shows. Uh, so I was like, ah, let's do this. Uh, a guy named John Gabris and I started working together and we, uh, we wrote a lifeguard sketch show. Um, okay. which was called You're Out Too Far. And we it was a pretty wild show. We were in Speedos the whole time, and we had a lot of theatrical elements. There was a, one sketch that took place. We were swimming. We were, like, treading water in, in the, out in the, in the waves. And so we, we, each week we brought in a helium tank and filled up, like, 25 balloons. So, and we would have objects floating on the balloons to create oh, wow. a water line. So we would like lay on a wow. stool to swim, and then we kept encountering like uh, I forget some of the stuff that was floating, but uh, different little things. Eventually, like a piece of uh, human shit was floating. Uh, so we we had to. We were always buying helium tank, and we ran the show for like a year. So for a long time, we would buy the little forty dollar you know two use helium tank, and we were like, we're wasting so much money. So we brought in like one of those industrial like right. missile tanks <laughs> and then people were like hey who has the uh, potential terrorist <laughs> missile in the back of the theater we're like sorry it's helium not a danger to anybody and that let us go for like uh four or five months of shows how'd you even think to like to do like balloons as like water that's like well, such a crazy idea i feel like that's the sort of what we we're talking about with the theatricality it was like right. uh, i was like oh what could we do that is like visually interesting and weird and like we knew we wanted to be in the water just as to shake up the you know we spent so much time in like the lifeguard stand or whatever yeah so we wanted something a little bit visually different, and uh, we were like, how can we create floating things that no one else, that we haven't seen before? Because people have like hung little strings and stuff. So we had the, so the balloon idea, I don't know, it just sort of hit us, and that, yeah. and that was it. That's awesome. Uh, when, you, when you and John Gabris met, did you guys instantly know you wanted to work together? We started, uh, we were put on the same, we'd met in class, and we knew we uh, connected because we did a, we were taking a class with one of the teachers, Michael Delaney, and we... Uh, we did a scene where it was Superman and the Flash racing, um, and right then we were like, "Oh, this guy gets the nerd st- stuff," mm-hmm. and like that's right over the play for me. So we started connecting over that, and and just the like sort of smart, dumb, weird uh, type of comedy that sensibility that we both have. We got put on the same house team. Uh, that team got broken up, and then we started uh, writing sketch mm-hmm. together, improvising as a duo for a while, and then and writing after that. And, and, and Gabrus is known more as a performer than a writer. Was that true back then? And was that like, uh, did that like kind of inform your writing partnership? Well, he, 
he is he is for sure uh, now. But back then, you know, we we actually we we wrote we sold two pilots to Comedy Central over the years. We've written features. We we were. Uh, it's changed a little bit, I feel like, sketch comedy because of the mod program. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to be much more like you formed your sketch group mm-hmm. and that was your group. You went out together. Uh, the Aspen Comedy Fest was how, like, the whitest kids you know, they went to that, got their TV deal out of that. So it was like, who's your sketch group? Oh, we get your voice. What are you pitching? What are you doing? Take a, you take a meeting with the networks and stuff. So we were very much wanted to follow that path. Uh, and so we, we definitely, like, developed our stuff and we were like, maybe we should have a TV idea. So we started figuring that out and just trying to do everything all the time at once, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a very equal uh, collaboration. I feel like since he, uh, since he's been, I can't speak for him uh, right now, but he's, he definitely is like, I want to be on a sitcom mm-hmm. uh, is like, I think number one dream for him, but he was, uh, he was writing for, he sold a pilot to Fox a couple of years ago. He's been, he's been doing some writing too. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned uh, you sold two two pilots. What's that experience like of like development? It's um, it's fun and uh, stressful, and uh, there's a lot of like waiting uh, that I feel like everybody sort of has to burn out of themselves after a while because otherwise you lose your mind. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's a fun process coming coming up with ideas, and then if you get one that actually hits or resonates with people. Uh, the, we pitched, so we sold two. The first one we sold was uh, called Upstate, and it was about my hometown. Excuse me. Uh, going, two guys that go back to uh, the one guy's hometown, which is on a lake in the summer, and uh, all the uh, mess that they create up there. And so we pitched that, started uh, writing it, and it was like, oh, let's take these real details from, from your life and put them in here. So there's a lot of like... Um, taking characters of people I knew growing up and adapting them to mm-hmm. to the pilot. So selling that, you do a bunch of drafts, um, they give notes, and then you sort of just wait and see what happens. Uh, and for us, it was right when the office, the Comedy Central East Coast office, was changing a lot. Uh, a lot of the executives were leaving. So we turned in our last draft, and the head exec was like, I'm leaving. <laughs> and so it killed our chances with that one. It got kicked out west to the West Coast office, and they were like, we don't know you, but this is very funny. Bye. <laughs> and so that was a letdown. A new regime came in on the east. Uh, we sold this other idea, which was based on Gabrus' uh, childhood growing up on Long uh. Island called Strong <laughs> Island, about two, two guys who lived there, uh, two brothers, and uh, wrote that. And that we, we wrote a pilot and then made a digital, sort of a digital series as our t- pilot tape for that. And that was great because we, we shot in Gabrus's house. We did five episodes, worked with all of our friends. Uh, they were pretty – it's called Strong Island. It's still online if you want to check it out. And um, then they passed on that, and we moved on to other stuff. Yeah. So w- when you're doing that, are you – are they asking for more than a pilot? Are they asking for like a, like a Bible, I guess, or anything else? Uh the, I mean, I, I think it, it varies by network and, and different people. They want to, like, talk about that. We didn't ever have to write a full Bible, but it was like, what's, what are the season arcs like? Uh, what happens in season seven? They want you to think about that. Um, and our reps as well were like, you know, you have a handle on it because in a meeting they might be like, well, how is this going to last? Because mm-hmm. if something hits, they want it to be able to go as long as possible. Right. Um, for other other pitches we've done, we've had to do some some Bible development, but um, I feel like they have to be pretty committed to actually say write yeah. forty pages of this because it's so much work. Mm-hmm. How, how do you approach doing a pitch? Uh, well, and he and I always pitch together. Um, other the stuff I've pitched alone and pitched in diff with different people you got to be on the same page and sort of like know, know enough about what you're doing and who's uh, just d- developing that rapport. Cause you want to be able to just know it. Uh, you can't, you don't want to be grasping for anything and pitching comedy. You want to be as funny in the room as possible. So there's a little bit of like, that's the drive. As soon as the door opens, like let's be funny mm-hmm. and then get into the actual content you're getting out there. Um, doing bits in the room, uh, just like, Getting yourself out there as much as possible, basically. I can't imagine, like, so you're like some like network guy. You're just doing bits, and like, it, if it goes poorly, that's awful, probably. Yeah, uh, you never want it to go. And honestly, like, it's not a, 
you'll you de- quickly develop how to read a room. Yeah. I, I feel like, and just be like, because the stakes are high for you. Uh, the all always when you're in there, and for that, depending on the person, there's the stakes maybe high for them, maybe not. Maybe they are super into it. Maybe they're like, I don't know about this. Keep talking about it. Mm-hmm. So it's figuring out what what is needed in the room, and then. Uh, that's why improv, I feel like, has become such a thing for everyone to learn and to know, whether it's for commercial auditioning, for uh, writing, for for pitching, the pitch process. Any aspect of entertainment being fun and interesting in the moment is way more helpful than <laughs> than not. Right. And so you mentioned uh, one of them was Strong Island, which was turned into a web series. What, what like, to you, make, makes a good web series? Uh, I mean, you, it's changed a lot. Like back then, it was like, yeah, it can be sort of anything, four minutes long, uh, you know, two to four minutes. And now I feel like it's way shorter. Like ninety seconds is sort of like whenever people are like, yeah, can you do a digital series for us? We're looking for like ninety seconds to two minutes. Um, so I feel like that's gotten way shorter in general. Um, I think anything. It's the same as a TV show, like. Anything can be a TV show, but what's what makes it different? What's why would I ever click on this or watch right. it through? Like, is it is it a big premise? Is it these characters that we want to see in any situation? Is it the format? Is it the like oh this animation is so interesting? Is it a developing a personal story or a piece of a comic book, a piece of content? It's it can be anything as long as it's something. I guess is <laughs> one way of saying it. And, and do you find it harder that it's like ninety seconds to two minutes to like make something that's more than just like like a sketch, basically? Honestly, I feel like it's for me it's easier because then you just know you ha- with a longer piece you're like oh maybe this scene would work here and we're, that's sort of bringing us to this next moment mm-hmm. and it becomes a little more uh, like a like a pilot a TV pilot a full on thirty minute thing with a, a ninety second piece you're like okay. It can be two things, you know, maybe this, this episode is just one scene that gets crazy fast, or it's like 10 very short scenes or whatever it is. Like you sort of have to go with one idea as opposed to mashing up like three ideas. Mm. Um, so I think it's a little easier cause you can just, you're taking one swing. Right. Right. That makes sense. Uh, so back at UCB, you, you started a show called characters. Welcome. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, so uh, back on Gabers for a second, we uh, we were invited to audition for Mad TV. Okay. Uh, back when they rebooted it, maybe the second or third time. It was because I, I think that it was not the most recent one that aired on CW. It was a middle one in between the initial run that maybe never aired, or maybe it was like they were. It was like the eighth season, and they had a half season. They wanted more, uh, something like that. Anyway, so we got invited to audition, and they were like, "Yeah," and we were like, "Yes, of course." They were like, okay, you're going to do uh, three characters. We were like, great. We had no characters. <laughs> we had no characters in our back pocket. It was all just based on our lifeguard show. So we were like, well, this is stupid. Uh, so we got together and got together with other people who were also auditioning and panic wrote our characters the night before and the day of the audition. It was a showcase at UCB. And we're like, oh, God, this is so stupid. This is a great opportunity, and we're putting up totally untested material right and uh it went fine uh but that really stuck with me like have your shit together a little bit more going in and characters welcome spun out of that years later being like it feels to me like auditioning and getting seen in comedy is moving almost totally toward care solo character work like people just don't industry is like I want to. I don't want to have this nine-person sketch group. I have to like meet all these people and like somehow find enough money to pay them all if they book something. Too complicated. Um, and it's also the rise of the Montreal Just for Last Festival as sort of a big industry touchstone for for sketch performers or comedy performers. Um, and that's all solo solo character performance. So it's like I want to be have characters in the back. So uh, Michael Hartney, I knew, was also into that. Who I co-created the show with and so we formed this group that was uh we would meet every thursday um at a at the the training center and just workshop characters as a group everyone would perform their characters everyone would give notes and then uh nate Dern was the artistic director and we were like hey we have this character show and he was like right away i got a spot for you because i think he saw the writing on the wall with that too 
Uh, and so once a month, we would do a showcase of all the, the best characters that were sort of ready for the stage. We would book uh, a ringer to come out and close the show. We started that, and it, uh, it was super fun. It helped us create characters that we still do that are like really that group dynamic really helps make the most like vibrant and uh, interesting work and then uh, after a few years uh, Matt Besser one of the original founders of the UCB was pushing character work as well and Mm. we were the only show in New York doing consistent character work so that was really helpful they were like let's make it a house team let's really really push this work and now we're in our uh, sixth season uh, now um I'm a little bit less involved because of some other work that I've been doing, uh, but it's it's a great. The performers are so great every year. We get a ton of people to audition. It's it's really fun. So you, you mentioned that comedy's kind of going, or yeah, comedy's kind of going more to like solo work and kind of solo characters. Is that kind of like a bummer in some way that there's like no sketch groups like anymore? Really, I I do think it's a bummer. There's no sketch sketch groups in general because that's such a great way to just get a voice hone your voice with people with collaborators that you can just be like we should make a video right it's so hard just by yourself to be constantly driving in all these directions like i was in two sort of major sketch groups in my time in new york uh tybris with gabris and a group called sidecar with alden ford and matt fisher and both those groups were like we did so much stuff like we learned so much about how to just make and that is huge Uh, and to have collaborators that you can go on tour with uh, that you can just be like oh well, let's write a pilot that idea is stupid when i'm working alone i'm like this idea is great yeah, yeah. like you need that bounce off a little bit especially when you're just starting out or you're a little like new to it it's, that bounce back is so helpful in crafting um but i do think the other side of it is what i was saying before like the industry just doesn't really want to deal with all these people all the time it's like right. uh, for when you're when agents and managers are like i want some new clients they want to just book you well, yeah. yeah let me sign you uh it's so so much casting is like I need this type of comedian. So it's like we could pull this person out of the sketch group, but you don't just, you don't see them enough in a group, and it's just the simplicity of it all is I think where it's going. Yeah, I guess I, I was just thinking like you know there used to be like you know kids in the hall and like the widest kids you know you mentioned before and like and like recently the birthday boys yeah and you watch those shows and they're like a very specific tone and voice and it all like kind of makes sense. And now there's kind of like a, a trend, like you've been talking about, to like, I guess it's like SNL style where it's like all different kinds of things. Um, and I guess that's kind of, uh, I don't know, it's more, I think it's more interesting to watch a cohesive whole thing. I mean, I agree with you, and I, I feel like it's going to shift back. I think we're yeah. in a phase now where stand up is back in prominence. Uh, I feel like sketch and improv sort of had a big uh, handle on, on the, the business for a while, and now it's shifted back towards stand-up a little bit. I feel like politics being so much more a part of comedy is driving that, uh, but it's also, I think, contributing to less... Like, the Birthday Boys, we, with Sidecar, we toured with them a couple of times oh, back cool. in the day, so we sort of came up with those guys a little bit, and they're all so fun. Um, and that voice of just, like, fun, at all costs, goofy sketch, like... It's just, I don't know where that would go. Like, what network would air that right, right now? Uh, because, I mean, think how many late-night political shows there are now. There are so many. Right. And more coming all the time. Yeah, and I guess maybe that's, like, almost at a peak thing, and then it's going to go around another way, too. I yeah. think so. I mean, we'll see. Politics, because of Trump, is such a driving factor right now, and everyone's keyed up all the time so we need the laugh there mm. but i do think there will be a breaking point it's like in movies the judd apatowification of movies has is leaving i think right comedies are in a little bit of a crisis i think in and movies um i think there needs to be something new to come fill the void the like the judd apatow style with like uh Arrested Development Man finding his way uh, is sort of leaving, I think. And also the super broad, like, holy shit, his arm just got cut off. Like, that, I feel, is sort of, people are just sick of it. Mm -hmm. So something new has to replace that. And I think that will drive us back Mm. into a a new, fun direction. Comedy movies are bad right now. Yeah. Uh, Have you seen Game Night? Uh, I haven't seen Game Night, but I know it's good. That's one I'm waiting for. It's great. It's really good. And that's there's an article I was just reading yesterday about Game Night. Uh, and one other comedy are the only ones that have even touched a good box office. Oh, uh, really? In the last like six, eight months, something like that. 
Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, there's a big problem, too, where everything has to be kind of high concept. Yeah. So, like, Game Night can be made because it's got, like, a high concept idea that sounds kind of bad, but it's actually good. And then you have to have, like, Jason Bateman. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't even know if he's a box office draw, but, you know, he's a name. People know him, yeah. Yeah. And so, I don't know. Like, like uh, I don't know if you saw, um, uh, what's it called? The uh, Pop Star. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah. And that was like a, a huge dud at the at the box office. But I do think that's living living on. People are people just can't didn't go watch it for whatever reason. Yeah. But people are, people are coming to that movie now. I, th- I feel like people that gets mentioned a lot is like that was a great right. movie that no great comedy that nobody watched. But then like, are they getting another opportunity to make a movie though because of like the failure? I don't know. Yeah, I, I know it, it's it's hard. Like, where is comedy right now? Where's the heat? Uh, I think it's late night. Politics is such a driver, I think, right now. And then stand-up specials are where everyone's uh, focus is. And that's fine, but it's like it's so narrow. And I think that has to pop. uh, I mean, people are going to be so just burned out on politics Mm -hmm. soon, very soon, I think. (laughs) Even Trump seems burned out on himself. Right. So I think we as a nation have to move on as well. What do you think uh, could come next? Well, like... Comic book movies have become, the Marvel ones anyway, are so funny right now. Like Thor Ragnarok and uh, Infinity War are have so many jokes in them and are still telling these big epic stories with fights. So that to me, like sneaking uh, genre comedy movies in, I think is a mm. good uh, a good step. Um, but there have to be more hard comedies out there uh, that are coming. But even TV feels in this mid form yeah. like uh, Atlanta is uh is the like best show on television and it's a comedy but it's also has a lot more to it i think that's that's a way uh a way forward is like really innovative storytelling that's also funny uh Barry just ended its season oh, yeah. which is a comedy but it's dark as fuck yeah. and if you, if you haven't watched that I yeah i what a show this what a the great finale the last 5 minutes who yeah but like I, that's great. I think we're ready to watch yeah. stuff that has that that isn't just. And we're talking about it, not spoiling it. But like, it's dark. It's violent. The whole show. I mean, it's, if you haven't watched it, it's a Bill Hader show about a, a hitman who uh, discovers an acting class, and that's just the first, the beginning, and yeah. it gets pretty <laughs> crazy after that. Um, I think that's a little bit of the future. Is like new storytelling around comedy. Yeah. Genre's interesting. I guess that's more of a thing with Game Night even than I than like high concept is like genre right. is on that. So yeah. So it it makes it when we come up in comedy, I feel like we're like, I I just want to be funny and I'm gonna have this funny idea and it's gonna be funny and I'm gonna be famous. <laughs> and it's so much more complicated now. Uh and maybe it always was but it does feel like in like the '90s when uh, the comedies we all grew up watching, it felt like there was there were millions of them being made, and they made like this movie is about a dead body these two carry around, <laughs> and that's the movie, and they made two of them. Uh, and they were successful, and they were I guess successful. That's so broad and wild and weird, uh, and that's just not where it is now. Like DVDs and, and VHS tapes allowed studios to have so much money on hand to buy and make these crazy quote-unquote stupid movies yeah. uh and that's just not the case anymore i miss bad 2000s comedies like uh, uh i don't want to say it, like without a paddle i mean that's like a bad movie but it's a lot of fun well yeah yeah and i, I wonder maybe that's the level of goofiness that it'll go but i i do think uh, uh like what's coming out uh sorry to bother you uh, oh, yeah, it looks interesting. Yeah. That feels like it's going to... The w- Twitter hype it's getting now is mm-hmm. is big. Um, and so that feels like it's it's genre-bending, uh, super fast-paced, um, and a little like... Uh, psychedelic's the wrong word, but um, sort of uh, magical realism, like a lot mm-hmm. of wild things happening at once. That feels like it could be an alley for the future. Mm. Uh, so we were talking about characters before. Mm. Uh, how do you come up with a character... Uh, this is, um, after you've been doing it for a while, I, th- I feel like this is the hardest part for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is my next character? And um, I taught classes for a long time, character classes, and the the way I would start every, uh, the first class, every new cycle of classes, is with a come in with nothing, walk out with a character. And uh, it's because it's, it's easy if you don't 
question yourself the whole time. Anything can be a character. So the way, uh, to give you a quick rundown of what the way it goes is, um, we do a, a hotspot where people tell stories. The hotspot, we launch with a suggestion. You're standing in a circle, people jump in the middle, and they're like, uh, let's see, um, a wagon wheel. That reminds me, I, I have this uncle who's like lives in a commune, uh, and I spent one like weekend with him, and it got crazy in this way. So it's a, just start with a personal story. Everyone goes around. I'm taking notes the whole time, writing down their personal stories. Uh, and then I just sort of log line the stories and then turn it into a game as with, with the group. Like, okay, you had the story about your commune uncle. Uh, it feels like I want to see, I want to hear him like filing his taxes. Mm. Uh, so then all the students go off and write and then come back. They perform uh, commune hippie doing his taxes or whatever. And that's, that's just, I, I don't know what the specifics are, but that's to me a fun game yeah. that is, uh, you could just attach a ton of like great specifics to that, heighten it to uh, he's dragged off to jail right away or whatever it is. And that's a good three minute character and all rooted in something that you already know or already knew when you walked in the room. Um, but in class also we do a ton of different prompts like, okay, this is going to be something you saw on Twitter. Uh, this is going to be based on a person you saw in your commute. Um, anything can inspire you as long as you're just like hardline focused on that and you have to produce something. The deadline is maybe the, the, the biggest thing to have. Right. And so when you would do classes, would you, uh, like you said, you'd come in with nothing. Would you do that for like every class? Just the first one. Cause oh. it's the first one. And then people would, um, have to come in with, with a character. So they come in with the character like has worked on like from the last class into the, they would, uh, yeah, sometimes it was based on an exercise or it was like, all right, for the next class, uh, write a character uh, that is based on this. So they would work on it and then come in and perform so. it. Give notes, uh, then do some exercises that are pointed toward one aspect of it. Like today we're going to work on physicalizing a character so that you can see how important that is and develop that muscle. This is going to be about um, just heightening a character or grounding a character or how to rest a game uh, in your character when you're up there by yourself. And would you and you use those exercises like when you're doing characters too? Uh, a little less so. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, I've gotten a little bit uh, lazy when it comes to that because of uh, other work. But um, so I'm definitely much more hastily writing characters, and they end up just being like basically lists of jokes. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yes, if I were to be like, okay, I'm going to write like a fully realized character that I want to go out and like really make a showpiece, I would like. Figure out what the voice is. Figure out how to physicalize it in a way that's unique to it. Um, what's the most heightened situation to put this character in? Uh, what are the grounding specifics behind it that I can go back to to arrest it? All of those things. Um, how, how do you like manage your your workload with like work and then doing comedy like on the side or like when like or what you, you do you like do comedy during the day and then comedy at night? Yeah, double up. Uh, well, yeah. So I I'm a writer for a show called The Opposition with Jordan Klepper. All that uh, shitting on political comedy I was doing is a total lie. I do it all day, every day. Oh, slam. Uh, so. Um, so I, that's my job, and that's like a pretty demanding job. We shoot four shows a week, um, so that starts early, ends late. Um, I also do uh, the podcast I talked about on Tuesday nights, uh, and then a show called Gentrify every Friday night. So that's a pretty packed schedule. Add on top of that, uh, I have a family. I have a, <laughs> a wife, a daughter. We're having another kid in August. So that's a yeah, big reveal on this podcast. <laughs> Uh, I'll send my address uh, along with Alan so you can send me <laughs> gifts and stalk him as promised. Uh, so yeah, that that's a lot. Um, but I still want to do stuff. Like I uh, talked a lot about I was doing a million things and that to me is the secret. Uh, everyone talks about like how do you, everyone wants to know how you get ahead. And for me, it was learning every aspect of every part of this. Like you want to you want to perform at UCB, hang out, learn how the theater works, learn how the tech tech is run for all the different things. Like learn everything about that. Oh, you want to shoot it, you want to make a sketch? How does it what is it like to be on a production team? What is it like to uh, you know, be a PA for something so you can see how different jobs work on set? Uh, because pushing people that are just like I want to do this one thing, that's great. But if you're just like, I want to just do it, I want to do it all, or do something, I don't know exactly what, in comedy, learning all that, you're, you're pushing so many different little rocks down the, down the game board at the same time. 
I don't know what game I'm talking about, <laughs> but uh, it's with rocks. Uh, it, it, it is so that to me, I, I've been able to find writing work, acting work, commercial work, uh, directing work, um, all of that, that I love all the different sides of it. And then you're not like tied into this audition means everything to me because that just starts to fuck with you <laughs> and you can't walk around every day in absolute free fall, uh, like other people do. But so anyway, it's very hard to juggle everything. It's a lot of like staying up way too late to finish this treatment for a show I want to pitch or, uh, or like, ah, I want to write this character. I haven't done it yet. And the show's tomorrow. It's like getting up early. It's finding the time, scraping it out anywhere you can, because you love doing whatever it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. So just work hard. I mean, what else is there? (laughs) I will say like, I sleep very little. I sleep less than other people, I think. And, uh, based on only me being like, Oh, when'd you do this? Oh, I was at like two and people are like, that's fucked up. Or how are you <laughs> happy? Uh, and I, so that's one aspect, but I guess for writing specifically, it's carving out the time when you can get rid of everything else and just literally sit and do it and make sure that at, if you, it's eight to 10 AM at 10 AM, you have something and then you take a break from it and are able to mm. come back. Cause the agonizing, we waste so much time agonizing over the creative. Right. And if you can just do it, put it away, and then read it, then it's it's a something, it's separate from the process, so you don't have to judge it as hard. So you, you keep it pretty strict with those times, like, I have to have something done by this time. Yeah, I'm, yeah, definitely, like, I'm going to, I need to get this done, I'm going to write for these two hours, and I'm going to have a finished piece, and then I'll s- switch over to the editing process. Mm-hmm. Um because the editing process is where stuff can go from fine to very funny to great. You know, it that's where you fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, and working on in television, like that's the process all, always is like get something down fast so we can start making it better, mm-hmm. as opposed to write it and that's it. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned directing. You've directed like a lot of commercials. How'd you get started with that? Uh, so uh, the group Sidecar is in, um, one of the guys, Alden Ford, um, that group broke up and we were like, we still want to work together. Um, and we love, we've made all these sketches uh, over the years. Some we've self-produced and we sold some sketches to Comedy Central and Alden had a background in photography. And we were like, we want to make a pilot. We want to shoot something. We want to try to sell it. We want to enter the New York Television Festival. So we brought in this uh, guy that Alden met named Bobby Webster, uh, really like as a DP and really like working with him, and we formed this production company called Jetpacks Go, and just started making stuff on our own. We started shooting some branded content for people, little projects, super low budget, but we were getting tape, uh, getting it done, getting it out there. And then we started just, we ended up being repped by this company, and they make commercials and rep directors for it. Started getting work doing that, and it just just sort of snowed. Once you have the real... If people like you real, they want you to do their stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you get like a commercial job, are you given like a treatment or like a script? And then like how much input do you have on that? And like how much do you like, how do you approach doing that? Uh, it depends a little bit on the job. I mean, the, the legit sort of TV commercials, they have it all worked out. And you sort of, you're competing with other people and you do a treatment based on the scripts they have or what they're working with where you just lay out all the specifics about how you would do it. And we, we sell ourselves a lot on being deeply connected to the comedy community. So many commercials want to be funny, but they don't have the direct connect for casting specifically. So for us, that's a big uh, selling point is like, we know all these great actors. We are, we, we're from comedy. They're from comedy. We will enhance your work and we will make it funnier. Cause that's the quotient that they can never get their hands right. on because they, <laughs> not to that, uh, copywriters are not funny all the time, but more funny is always better. And it's like, I, we need to capture that. Um, and then we sort of pitch our take. How would we, what would the look we're going for? What was our, our take on the scripts themselves? What would we enhance? What would we, what is something we could do better than what's already in the, the packet? We send in our treatment and then you either get the job or you don't. And then you start pre-production to uh, make it. Has uh, working on those commercial gigs helped you with your writing? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it all it all feeds in. Like I was saying before, it all feeds into the same uh, sort of tube because you the writing is just writing is you want to be as concise as possible all the time. Like every, it's always like make it shorter. Commercials are very short and they have to do a lot. 
They have to be funny or interesting, sell something, um, be visually interesting. All of these things are great for comedy as well, whether it's stage or uh, or TV or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely think so. And back on the character work, I feel like writing characters uh, because they're like three to four minutes long and it's introducing a premise, playing it as hard as possible, as quickly as possible. That and doing that on Characters Welcome and teaching, I've watched thousands of characters and worked on them to make them better. That is that and commercial work and everything else really feeds into honing your voice. And when you're writing a packet to try to get a job as a, in TV writing, it's like all about getting getting funny fast right. in the packet with whatever, whether it's politics or a random sketch show that is trying to hire or SNL. It's like, show us what you got and do it fast. So uh, you now work on The Opposition yeah, uh, I assume you had to write a packet for that. So how do you approach how do you approach writing a packet? Uh, well, getting the packet is uh, is big. Uh, you have to get either have a rep that gets it for you or a friend or it's a fully open submission. Uh, that's can be the a big barrier to entry. Uh, I have uh, some representation and have for a few years, so I've done a lot of packets, and uh, it's daunting. I have a lot of comedy guilt um, when it comes to if I'm like, ugh, I hate this show or like i don't like this packet why would i ever do this uh but it's like oh, you should just do them all and i do think even if you don't want to write for a particular show whether it's uh like it's like a a uh i don't know kardashian uh keeping up with the kardashians after show and they need a comedy writer it's like oh, maybe that's not your favorite show or you have no interest in it do the packet because that's how you learn how to do packets. Wow, so they'd have a packet for something like that? I've written packets for so many nonsense shows. <laughs> but I've also, again, been hired on those shows. Yeah. And it's not – the money's great and it's not a bad job. You learn a different skill. Mm-hmm. Writing for a show like that, they want, like, one joke. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need – like, you're yeah. writing for a show like The Opposition. It's like you need – it's all about being super funny. It's like comedy forward. But I've written for uh, dating shows. I've written for – um, all sorts of little shows that are like, we need it to be funny, but just like a little bit, just like <laughs> right into the commercial. We want a couple jokes, but you learn how to format a, a TV script. You learn how, uh, how to just the ins and outs of writing it. Like those skills are huge and you just can't learn those at a class in, uh, in a class at UCB. Uh, so getting the packet and then do learning how to do packets and sort of training your brain to write jo- like hard jokes coming up through improv. You don't, you know, it's like, don't make jokes. But eventually, you need to make jokes. That's why so so often people are like, other sh- I worked on a show called Comedy Knockout for a long time. And everyone else in the room were stand-ups. And I was the improviser. And they were like, improv guy. Well, cool. Let's, let's play around. See what we get to. I was like, fuck you guys. I'm going to write better jokes than all of you. Uh, and you, ha- you do have to learn that the joke is, is a different thing than being funny in an improv scene. Once you get it, it's the best, especially if you're trying to compete with a bunch of stand-ups with cocky attitudes. Uh, but uh, so then doing the packet is just like making your choices early so you can then edit, like I was talking about before. Um, I feel like so many people write to the last minute send it off and it's like there's a bunch of spelling errors or there's like it just doesn't quite make sense when truly like getting it out and fixing it is is the way to go so is that like your number one uh advice would you say for packets is like getting it doing it and then editing it and then yeah doing it uh doing it early i don't know what because my process for a long time was like fuck i didn't do this packet i'll stay up super late do it it's due tomorrow at noon um, and for a long time, I was like, ah, that was fine, but didn't didn't get the job. If I even if I had to stay up late, if I finished it at night and then woke up early to edit it, it was a better packet. Mm. So time management's uh, huge. Mm-hmm. And I think the other side is know that three hundred other people are doing packets and don't make the joke that they will make. Mm. Make the weirder, even if it's weirder. Make make that joke because people are like, oh, that's interesting. Because it's, it's not a contest about who is textbook the funniest. It's what hits. It's like, oh, this person has a different take. Maybe they're looking for someone that is weird. It is like writing very off stuff because they have six people who are writing like classic setup, punchline, monologue jokes. And they want someone who's writing 
Twitter style jokes or whatever, or like more sketchy jokes or like, you don't know what they're looking for. So, you know, write in your voice, but write what other people aren't writing. So for the opposition specifically, it wasn't a show, but when you're writing the packet, it like hadn't existed before. So how do you approach doing that? Uh, well, the show, um, I mean, they tell you what they want. So you, uh, you just do that, but it is, it was very much modeled on other late night politics shows. Mm-hmm. So it was like a daily show style script from this uh, specific uh, point of view from the like sort of alt-right, more uh, uh, hard, hard right point of view. Uh, so that was pretty, I'd done some daily show packets before I knew a little bit about the style, but the style of that is super specific. Um, so learning that language is it was helpful and being able to have the time to workshop it but this packet i really wanted this job so like i took the time to get a babysitter so i could write in the basement by myself while the babysitter is upstairs with your kid that's very strange to have a babysitter <laughs> yeah. and then not leave yeah. <laughs> um uh, so i was like i really for the second round because it, it was blind submissions so um even though like I knew uh, I'd worked on another show with Jordan uh, in the past. I was like, oh, man, I really want this job. I think Jordan's so good. But that didn't help me knowing him. It was because it is both the, the first round and the second round were blind submission. Uh, so you just have to – it's all in your material. You have to make it great. So for the second round, I got a babysitter and just worked my ass off on it. Wow. So uh, what was I going to say? Uh, never mind. <laughs> I had something to say earlier, but I forgot. That's what it was. Right. Um, so you get hired for the show, mm-hmm. and the show uh, when you get hired, like how many months before the show starts? Uh, we were on for a little over a month before the show started. So is like the show idea like fully formed, and you guys are like going at it, going for that thing? Or are you like trying new things out? A little bit of both. I mean, the, the yeah, the the show was was hammered out about what what it was going to be, but it was very much like what what is our take on this what is um you do we want to do like daily show usually um in the past did like full acts about you know one thing um and then a second act that might be a chat with a correspondent or another thing about another story and it was it was like do we want to do that or do we want to do shorter pieces and uh, there's definitely a figuring it out process along along with it did you find the show uh changing a lot as you started airing episodes uh, yeah, I mean, we've really we've gone from doing full acts about a particular topic to doing um, a lot of times uh, what Jordan calls ice cube trays, um, which the first act will be like three stories, three like short takes on different stories or two or or whatever four. Sometimes there's a little chat in there, um, which is uh, like Daily Show and other shows haven't really don't really do that a lot. Have a correspondent that just pops in for like a three minute bit and then is is gone. So that's definitely something we figured we learned on the way is is really fun for us because it lets us there, there's so much news it lets us cover more but just do our version of it we don't need to like digest uh, everything that Michael Co- every fucked up thing Michael Cohen did today yeah. we can just pick the fact that he's wearing a dumb suit and looks like um, he's in a community theater production of Guys and Dolls and that's <laughs> what we play yeah. like what's the Guys and Dolls version of his one of his crimes or whatever. So it lets us be a little more mobile and a little uh, a little more unique, I think. And this is a uh, a daily show. So like, how do you handle the pressure of that? Uh, it's funny. It, for, when we first started, it was like, man, this is hard because the day is fast uh, and you're expected to do a lot. You know, we get in there, we have a group meeting where we talk about everything and uh, pick the stories we're going to talk about. We get our assignment. We do a pass. Get notes. Do another pass. Uh, work on uh, you know do jokes for the rest of the show uh, so it's it's a lot and the deadline is like this is due in an hour and it's five pages long which in, yeah. including like all the video clips you're going to use everything in place uh, but I will say after doing it for a while you've sort of adjusted that rhythm and it's like all right here we go and you, you were usually working with another writer uh, partnered up so it's like you do the top I'll do the bottom let's meet in the middle and read it and submit it and when you have like breaking news in the middle of the day, like how do you handle like putting that in in the show? Um, it's uh, it's hard uh, if if it comes super late. Um, we'll do like if a story breaks, we'll f- just like okay, let's do a, a page on this, and we'll find a way to to slot in the show, whether it's cold open or in the, an ice cube tray or whatever. Um, 
But it's like, is this story enough? Uh, and is it short-lived enough that it will be eaten up by tomorrow? Because um, otherwise, like, oh, this story's crazy. Let's do it tomorrow. Right. And we can actually get the reaction from the right, reaction from uh, the left, from the politicians, whatever. Uh, because a lot of times, a lot of our fun is like the reacting to the reactions because they get crazy fast. Um, and so if it, it'll last the next day, we'll do it the next day. If not, then we find a way to get it in the show. And so the opposition is from like an alt-right point of view, like you said. How do you approach writing that? Like, and how do you approach jokes for that? Oh, it's it's a little tricky because we you know we want to we want to satirize the alt right, but we don't want to be the alt right. Uh, so we have to hit them, but also get our earnest take, what we actually believe as um, you know as re- humans first, but also you know liberals maybe more than uh, more than not. Um, so uh, it's or you know at least from a point of view of like this is stupid and here's why. Well, also the Jordan the character saying like I love this. Uh, so it's a lot of it's, it's like puzzles. It's a lot of solving puzzles of like how can we um, love Trump for saying this uh, xenophobic anti-immigrant thing and still undercut it, how stupid it is. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times it's just like making Jordan super heightened in his reaction or find the uh, or make a choice about why we think Trump is doing something or anyone in, in politics, politics is doing something and naming it. Uh, so it's to sort of think of it, uh, in physical space, we're either going way up or we're going way low underneath it and coming around and, and nailing them from the soft, the soft side. That's interesting that you say puzzle. Cause I had a, I had a Colbert writer and they said the same thing is like the, it's like the puzzle it's like almost like a math equation. Definitely. Uh, like I said, I, I grew up and started, you know, learned uh, about who I was in math and science and that, that pro- or even like uh, to give my heritage some credit, construction. I feel like that's <laughs> problem solving. That's like, I need to build this thing and here's what I have. Mm. How can I do that? And I do think comedy writing at its core is that same thing. You're like, here are the, here's the material I have. How can I construct this to be as efficient as possible, as funny as possible, and, you know, A plus B equals C, C being the punchline. It's like, what's the setup? What are the specifics? What's the fun? And so there's so much political satire right now, as we talked about. How do you stand out from the rest? Uh, I mean, it helps because the show's point of view lets us get way wilder than so many of the other shows. We get to take some strong uh, tangents that other shows don't really get to do. Um, so that helps a lot. And also, I think we really cram a ton of jokes into our show. The joke density in our show, I think, is is really high. So that, to me, is the most fun. We're like, because it is, again, this weird point of view, this alt-right point of view, we can have Jordan call something when a normal like person would just be like, oh, the Democrats did this. We get to like shit on the Democrats, yeah. which isn't even the punchline. It's just in the setup. So that's an extra joke. It lets us really just uh, uh, saturate the show yeah. with comedy. Uh, what would you like to be doing next? I, I people, people ask me that, and I'm like, I love this job. Yeah. This is like such a job that I've, I'm built for, like government theater major. I yeah. was reading this much <laughs> politics uh, my whole life so like i love it i love how uh, how wild we can get on the show i want to do this for a long time um but in the meantime you know the stuff that i'm writing little pieces here and there uh feel like maybe some comic book stuff i'm uh thinking about doing like i've had my brain on that for a long time i've written a comic in the past but it feels like in any spare time i'm thinking about stuff sort of in in those worlds that's cool features and stuff like that Okay, cool. So we're going to wrap up with you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea I have. All right, cool, 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 cool. Um, so this is um, a parody Cash Cab. Great. Cash Cab's coming back. Is it really? Yeah, uh, I just saw Well, quick side story yeah. before you pitch. Uh, uh, Gabrus and I were on Cash Cab oh, uh, back whoa. in the day, um, and we lost. We lost. We could see our destination. If you don't know how it works, right, yeah. this dude would pick people up and... Uh, you would um, answer trivia questions on your way to your destination. And so we you get back in the older version, you got three, you get two wrong, and then if you got a third one wrong, you were done. And we could see our destination, and we got our third question wrong. And so if you get, um, 
If you get the three right, then you get to it's a free ride, right? You get no, you make you each question has a dollar value, so oh. you're making money. I think we were up to our destination. We got stuck in traffic. I think it took us forever to get there, so we answered a lot of questions. We had a lot of money on the line, and I think back then there was like a sort of a daily double situation, oh, yeah. a red light challenge. I think it was called, and we got that right. We were like riding high. I think it was like six hundred bucks or something in the pot. We totally, totally blew it. Oh, yeah. And people, that episode will still air on uh, like Discovery or whatever <laughs> has it. And occasionally, we'll, our Twitter, and our my Twitter will light up with people being like, "Dude, were you just on Cash Cab, dude?" And I'm like, <laughs> "Yes, uh, so embarrassing." Wow. So, wait, did you know when you got? On, I mean, I don't even know how it works in real life. Like, did you know when you got on the cab that it was Cash Cab? Only once you get in, all the lights wow, flash. Wow, that's, that's, yeah. that's that's cool. That it's kind of that's real. Yeah, it's yeah. real. Yeah. yeah. Who's the new host? Do you know? <laughs> it's the same dude, I think. Oh, good for him. I just saw he posted on Twitter a picture of himself like, here I am again in sort of a, like, <laughs> my life's a nightmare, but maybe it's uh, great. Oh, wow. Well, good for him. Um, so this is topical. This, this isn't is, just yeah, a cash. This yeah. is a topical Ooh, cash cap parody. Yeah. yeah, it's driven by Donald J. Trump. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, no, it's, um, so it's a parody cash cab, uh, but it's cash Uber. Mm-hmm. And uh, the host, like, so he's doing the questions, but if they get it, he tries to steer them to the right answer because if they get it wrong, they're going to give him less than five stars. So that's oh. that's kind of the, the, the joke idea. So he has to punish them for getting it wrong while also like kissing ass, right? Um, I do think, uh, so that's fun. I feel like there's a lot of Uber specifics you can play into yeah. that. In addition to the, the premise stuff, like what is, what water things does he have? Oh, right, what, right. uh, you can hit those specifics. I feel like a little bit, maybe it's a pool and right, different, yeah. weirder, maybe more horrible people get in the, in the Uber right. and they're like, Oh, this is the, this is the fucking cash Uber. Yeah. Oh man, I hate this. Um, but I think that's fun. I think, um, Anytime a character like this driver can be split in very hard in two directions, I think right. you have a lot of opportunity to have him be, I'm so sorry. I'm yeah. so sorry about what I'm doing here. But you got it wrong. Uh, and if if on the other side, the game show host side, he's sort of a dick a little right, bit right, right. Uh, and making fun of them, I think that gets you more opportunity to have him be different at the same yeah. time. Okay, cool. All right. Write it up. Get it out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, thanks for coming to the show. Anything you want to plug? Um, yeah. Uh, if you like podcasts, which you seem to, uh, check out Comic Book Club. Um, if you like comics, it's, uh, it's a live comic book talk show, late night format. We have guests from, uh, comic books, uh, comedy all over. We just had, uh, the actor Dan Fogler on, uh, last oh, week, cool. uh, which is cool. He's from Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and Balls of Fury. Um, you can, uh, and we, he has a comic that he's working on. So we talked to him about all his shit and it was great. Um, uh, check that out. And you can follow me on Twitter at JT sizzle. Oh, nice. Pretty cool. Right. <laughs> I created that back before I knew Twitter was going to be how we are uh, communicating <laughs> for the rest of our lives. So it was like, ah, I'll do this joke, uh, handle. And now I have to say it all the time. <laughs> Well, follow him there, and thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And Alan's address, as promised, <laughs> is... Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week. <laughs> And a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.